0: It was in the middle of the summer of 1979. I was already bored by then, so my father had decided that I was going to take along with him. He was in sales and he had to drive from meeting to meeting all around the island. And so he decided this would be a great chance for us to have father-daughter bonding, which at the age of 13 didn't sound very exciting to me. Well... I agreed with the stipulation that I would go with him as long as I didn't have to go into those meetings and I could wait outside with my beloved old faithful transistor radio that I took everywhere I went. It was big, it was bulky, it was black, and I loved it. It ate D batteries up in record speed. I'm surprised we still had money for food. Because I had to put my eight-track tapes in the side of it. Yeah, I know. I just missed cassettes by just a couple years, really, I did. Well, like most teenagers, I loved my music. And I was convinced that the music of my generation was the best. And I like to tell them so especially in the first week when he was driving all around. So then he decided at the start of the second week and every week that followed that summer that he was gonna prove to me that my music selection had to be far-reaching, spanning generations. So he started in the mid-1950s with Elvis, Dion, The Beach Boys, and Bobby Darin. If all of those names sound familiar to you, raise your hand. <laughs> if any one of those names you don't, you don't connect with even have ever heard of, raise your hand. <laughs> Ouch. Okay. <laughs> well, once he made me listen to his music, I tortured him with my music. Now remember, this was the end of disco So we had to blast Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. And then, of course, there was Andy Gibb after those other Bee Gees left him in the dust. And then the band that is still cool today, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yes. So he convinced me about Elvis, but not too many others. And so then we started to look at classic rock and the songs that kind of Uh, marked the times and the era, so forever I will always remember the summer I was 13 with this song, Talking About My Generation by The Who. How many know that song? All right, very good. I'm going to give you a gift and I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) So it got me thinking about generations and throughout history, each generation we've studied and explored contrasts and comparisons to our past generations while we actually try to make predictions on the next generation. So we do this, too, in every realm of our culture, right? Generations have to be studied in the worlds of advertising, marketing, music, business, technology, architecture, finance, education, science, psychology, theology, and a lot more ologies than that. I'll explore how generations are hardwired, what makes them tick, so to speak, from Generation Z born after the year 2000 to the greatest generation and all the generations in between, each one wanting to be remembered and looked upon as contributing to the greater good of our country and even making this whole world a better place in which to live. Even Jesus' contemporaries asked him the question. And he said, to what will I compare this generation as he sat among a crowd? This is the question that must be answered by each generation, one we ask ourselves this morning. Back in the 11th chapter of Matthew, Matthew is devoted to the single question of, the one that Jesus Baptist, who was imprisoned at the time, sent his disciples to ask Jesus, which is, Are you the one who is come, or are we to wait for another? Although Jesus' first response was pretty positive, he soon begins to discuss the attitudes and the outlooks of his generation that fails to see him as the Messiah, the Son of God. As the one who has come. So Jesus compares this generation, and I quote, to children. Not good. The behavior of these children that are engaged in uh, negativity and in insult. They appear to be harassing one another, refusing to join in children's games, which is kind of interesting. Not sure why adults are playing children's games. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. Now that may not mean much to you and I today, but flute playing and dancing actually belong to boys, to men in celebratory activities at weddings. And then the wailing and the mourning, they're part of another children's rite, a child um, action and play, as women served as the official, sometimes even professional, they got paid to cry and carry on at funerals. So basically to Jesus, that crowd looks pretty immature, and that's his own generation. For John the Baptist, boy, what an insult they hurl at him while the guy is in prison, no less. For John came neither eating nor drinking, they say. He has a demon. And as if it couldn't get any worse, here's what they say about Jesus The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors. And sinners. John the Baptist is discounted because his abstinence is too strict, while Jesus is rejected because his behavior and the people who, who he is hanging out with, well it isn't quite strict enough according to Jewish law. So these charges began to make the speakers for that generation Seemed kind of like Goldilocks in that fairy tale, finding everything too hard or too soft or too hot or too cold. It just wasn't right when it came to Jesus and John the Baptist. In verse 25, the many who reject Jesus, and it says there are many who reject him and only a few who accept him. Those who hear Jesus' message and respond, for theirs is a childlike faith. What it means to be trusting in Jesus, that Jesus has revealed himself to all, and they acknowledge that the miracles that they've seen him do, they aren't just isolated acts of wonder and amazement. They're actually signs for the approaching kingdom of God. They show that he is who he says he is. So you come to us and our generation, and the question is, who is the greatest generation? In 1998, NBC News anchor Tom Brokaw revealed his answer to the question in a book with the same title called The Greatest Generation. Brokaw argues that it's the GI generation that stormed the beaches of Normandy in World War II, that went to work in American factories, that bought bonds to support the war effort. These are the men and the women, the living and the dead, who willingly gave their lives their limbs, who gave their sweet nightly childhood dreams over to the enduring nightmare of war, the war that honestly and truly saved the world from fascism the war that protected the home of the brave, the land of the free, so that we might grow up in safety, democracy, and prosperity. We owe the same gratitude to all those since who have bravely defended our freedom from generation to generation to this day. That greatest generation, though. It's difficult not to compare. They performed innumerable acts of quiet heroism that changed history and in the process became a stalwart population of people with tenacity who forged the battles from the South Pacific, Northern Africa, and Europe. When the war ended, they returned to their homes to marry and raise children, and they had, by virtue of participation in a global war, matured beyond their years. They overcame tremendous obstacles. They came home with leadership skills, with a strong sense of personal responsibility and patriotism. They came home to do their duty, to work with honor, to live with faith. And they came home to a new start, to rebuild a nation damaged by the Depression, They did so community by community, as active citizens, neighbors, and good Samaritans. The generation changed things, in fact. They unwittingly carved out more social change than many of their picket line, peace marching children. Compare the women of these generations. Women's Lib got started when Rosie the Riveter went to work 30 years before it was ever called Women's Lib. Right, Irene Turner? I can see you on that plane. Women serving in fighting units during the Gulf Wars were a direct and traceable result of women serving in the waves, the wax, and frontline nurses in World War II. They were ordinary women like Colonel Mary Holleran of the United States Army, Women's Auxiliary Corps, General Janine Holm of the U.S. Air Force, who got their start in World War II. The country was in trouble, there was a need, there was a job to do, and men and women stood up and they did it. And when these young men and women came home from the war, they weren't just necessarily eager to stay put, they had seen the world. Armed with higher education, a worldly sense not shared by their parents, a new freedom and determination, they relocated to distant cities, they blended the national population. They developed a new and strong middle class of noble, success oriented families, creating a new America and a powerful America. The social strata previously permanent, segregated, and separate, mixed in a manner unimagined, creating prosperity, new ideas. This morning we stand in a long line of believers that have been faithful to God and country through the ages. They have led us through trial and difficulty. They have always brought us hope hope for today and hope always for a better tomorrow and the god of holy hospitality our god today has made the world our neighborhood opening us to all people caring for those who have special needs and body and mind and soul and in doing so we are called still to build community we are called to worship and to pray. We are called to pray for those we know who are just around the corner on the block from us, as well as those brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. It is in worship, in prayer, in outreach, in mission, that we lift those in our community and those around the world to God in prayer, those who are injured, those who are sick, those who long for healing, those whose disagreements have brought strife that need reconciliation, those whose differences keep them from seeing our common humanity. So which is it? Which generation stands out in distinction? I think it's actually the wrong question because the greatest generation is not people born from one specific date to another in a matter of years, but people reborn in every single generation that has come and those who will come after us at any age. The question is not of generational greatness, but of regenerational greatness. You know, there was a remnant of people in Jesus' generation and in everyone that has followed a remnant that danced when he piped, mourned when he dirged. And Jesus is still dancing, still calling us. The dance goes on today of discipleship. But it's not Generation Z or the boomers or the builders or the millennial kids or Generation X, Z, and all those in between. It's all those and more. It's every person from every generation who submits to regenerating your heart. People from our biblical family line who through faith conquered kingdoms. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of flames. They escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned into strength by the grace of God. People ordinary who became extraordinary became powerful in battle routed foreign armies, people who were stoned, people who went about in sheepskin and goatskins, people who were destitute, people who were persecuted and mistreated, people whom the world was not worthy. That is the greatest collective generation of the world. The the intergenerational church of God marked not by the year of any birth but by the call to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. And together we serve and we strive and we bless we grieve and we die and we believe that death is not the last word that there is resurrection and God welcomes us home to his kingdom. So to call one generation the greatest immediately diminishes all generations who preceded it, all generations who followed it. But I say we do need to treasure the greatest generation, for we will be forever changed because of them, always grateful. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is present. We are but one equal people, one single generation, even in these pews, no matter what age you are, friends, disciples of Jesus Christ, fellow members of his regenerational church, you are his hands and his feet every day when you step out your door. What an honor. As you go, remember this, you have nothing to fear for God has created you, shaped you, He has chosen you, named you as his own. And when you face stormy seas, God is there. And when it seems as though you're walking through fire, God is there. Let us go with joy. Let us go with confidence. Let us go with the heart and courage of all those who came before us. Let us go leaning into the future Godward, anticipating the day when our children will lead us. And may the presence of God always uplift you and grant you faith, hope, love, and courage, today and always. God bless you. Amen.